catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. 
Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's film study. This is our final preseason talk. Final time before we get down to 53. We're recording this on Friday, August 30th. So yesterday was the Redskins preseason game. We'll get a little bit into that, but really we're going to look at the 53-man cut because that has to happen by 4 p.m. tomorrow. We're actually recording this at 4 p.m. on Friday, so we got 24 hours to go. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? Uh, have you heard of Dorian? That's pretty much my life right now is figuring out <laughs> what to do with Dorian. So, yes, we heard about the hurricane. And, and how is it affecting the Jacksonville area? Uh, that's a great question. It depends what weather station I turn on. It's either going to slam it or actually I think it's going further south now, but no one knows where it's going to steer. And I am south of Jacksonville in St. Augustine, an older city. Um on the east coast of Florida. So it's uh, I'm debating about holding down in St. Augustine or moving or going to Tampa for the weekend and a few days. So I'm trying to like roll dice and figure out which one's going to get hurt worse. Hmm. Wow. Sorry to hear that. I hope uh, hope everything's good with you and your family. Hey, I'm, I'm a, this is, I think makes me officially a Floridian once I get through my first hur- hurricane. There you go. Yeah. All right, so it's not going to be just you and I today. Clearly, we need to bring someone that knows more than me to balance the talk with you. So we've got Vass in here from Baltimore Beatdown. Vass, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm sure we're all excited to see how Eric DaCosta's first roster takes shape. And is it's Voss, correct? So we want to, want to make sure we're getting that right. Yes, Voss or Vasilis. Okay. Uh, all right. And Vasilis... Uh, Oh, see, I lost it. Vasilis Beatdown is your Twitter handle, right? Am I getting that right? Correct. Exactly right. right. At V-A-S-I-L-I-S Beatdown, B-E-A-T-D-O-W-N. All right. Now, let's talk for a a minute or two about Thursday's game, preseason game four. I think there was more stuff posted online about Matthew McConaughey being at the game than anything that actually happened important on the field. Um down here, I was watching the Redskin broadcast, so that was my viewpoint. A lot of uh, burgundy and gold. So, how about you, how about you guys? Any takeaways from this final game? Well, I'll tell you what. Regarding the broadcast, I would have loved to have been watching the Redskins broadcast because the Ravens broadcast broke away from the field for some fairly substantial stretches. They might have missed about four or five plays in total in that second half. So that was annoying to me. But uh, aside from that, uh, you know, it's a fourth preseason game. Nobody's all that interested in the football being played on the field, and there actually is very little really that's being decided, particularly late in that game. How about you, Voss? Right. It's uh fourth game. A lot of the players aren't even going to be on the practice squad. I did think the linebackers fared relatively well. Tyus Bowser, Kenny Young, mm-hmm. and Otara Alaka, they all made some plays. They did miss a few tackles, but I, I'm still pretty bullish on this linebacking corps, even after the veteran losses they incurred in free agency. Yeah, exciting, exciting group. Kenny Young has really stepped up in the absence of Chris Board, in my opinion, and and has looked great as a hitter. And now I, I'm suspecting that he'll probably get the majority of the snaps at that weak side linebacker platoon, which I hope they'll run very much like they did last year. 
as as a three-man platoon, including Levine as the dime, to if they could get anything like the production they got last year would be spectacular. Certainly. Uh, Kenny, I think they're probably going to be situational where, where they play run-based teams. That'll be mostly Kenny Young because he's excellent at shooting gaps, making plays in the backfield. And then Chris Board, when they play uh, pass-first teams, Board's a little bit better in coverage. So certainly both see some time, I expect. All right. Well, we want to go through on a position-by-position basis and and do this. And, you know, a lot of people, they do it on a position basis, but I think if you're missing missing some of the roster-building fun, if you don't have kind of all of it in front of you, in a spreadsheet to try and to try and look at it and compare across position groups. But we'll start with the offensive line. We'll talk about them uh, first. And I think one of the big questions is whether or not they keep eight or nine on the offensive line. But the biggest offensive line question to me is what are they going to do about the backup tackle? It's not the left guard. They will find their starter. They have options and they will find the, find the right guy with the, experimentation here much in the way probably they they ended up finding Orlando Brown last year but I'm much more concerned about the backup tackle situation right now with the trade of Illuminor the implosion of Hurst in the previous game and now a a, a poor game from Sanat certainly agree with you there especially if Hurst ends up starting at guard you need a tackle and tackles don't grow in trees very scarce across the league to find a tackle um, so they may end up keeping nine. All right. All right. Well, how about we just get right into our predictions for who they keep? Uh, how about you go first as the guest? I expect the Ravens are going to keep nine offensive linemen. Ronnie Stanley, James Hurst, Matt Skura, Marshall Yanda, Orlando Brown, Ben Powers, Bradley Bozeman, Greg Sanat, and Patrick McCarry. Sanat did been a little bit up and down I think he appeared to be playing maybe slightly injured still uh, working off that rust where he missed some time Uh, he is a talent a gifted athlete worth developing at a scarce position and the offensive line as a whole is probably especially the interior is the Ravens most concerning place on the entire roster so I think it makes sense to keep an extra player there Right. I mean, I agree with your logic pretty much across the board here. Uh, Sanat is a player who has prototypical size, length, and feet at that left tackle position. Very hard to find that. It's a good sculpting over the over the off season to improve his shape. Uh, you know, by carrying a little bit less weight around his middle uh, than he had previously. I really like what he potentially is, and we've seen flashes of it in this camp. I thought, aside from the holding penalty in the first game that he played very well. But the but in this game, two holding penalties, not much you can you can go for from that. One of them was a hook on an out, outside hook on a run play. He did have a, a uh, uh, neck hook. I forget if it was this game or in the game one that he had his other holding penalty. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, um, anything that can't be coached up at all, but when you're getting beat and you get, and you have desperation holds, those are a lot worse than some of the holds that Sonata's had on the edge and run plays and on the, and on the, uh, the hooks on some shorter, uh, speed rushes. So I'm bullish on him and I actually am, am cutting Patrick McCarry and just keeping eight, which I know is going to be an unusual kind of selection around here right now because it might kill the UDFA streak, but, Macari to me, 
First of all, he has terrible measurables. If you look at him and, and, and in the combine room, you wouldn't pick him as a left tackle, certainly, but you might not pick him as a guard either based on, on what he's done. Very short arms. And, uh, you know, the results are what stand out. I think the Ravens love him as a football player. I don't think any other NFL team has really had a chance to experience that. So at least temporarily, I see him as being cut tomorrow, possibly re-signed as early as Sunday. That makes a lot of sense to me. McCarty's probably 52nd, 53rd, 54th man as it as it sits right now. Okay. All right. Uh, so no, no great disagreement there, but but I don't have McCarty in the group. That's our first disagreement here. So go to wide receiver and uh, take it away. Well, the big question, are they going to keep five or are they going to keep six? And I was debating between the two veterans – for that final sixth spot, uh, Michael Floyd and Seth Roberts. A little bit interesting that Floyd did not play in the preseason finale, but I'm just receiving word now that it appears they may have released uh, Michael Floyd just a few moments ago. That uh, that makes sense. And this is always a problem with doing a roster show is they get into these cuts a day early. But it was down to Roberts and Floyd for me as the last selection. I, I took Roberts as well. I imagine we have the same top five. Willie Sneed, Chris Moore, Marquise Brown, Miles Boyk, and Jaleel Scott. You have Indeed. Make it same same? Okay. Indeed we do. So I don't think we need to go over that too much. Scott really had a great preseason. Roberts would not have been a difficult cut. If they liked one of the younger guys in particular, if they liked Wesley, they could have cut Roberts for him if, if his injury was a little more severe. And honestly, I guess they still could. They've cut Floyd, but they haven't cut Roberts yet. So if they like Wesley more, the money lost in cutting Roberts should not dissuade them from doing so. And of course, Wesley is a multi-year proposition that they have an option on. Floyd as a rental completely understand the cut. Wesley seems to be a practice squad candidate, a leading player to the practice squad. I think they do want to keep an extra veteran to just kind of have that mixture of seasoned players to go along with the youngsters and the rookies. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. In particular, that wide receiver, we made the point on the previous show that the Ravens had the room for a veteran because they have so much youth in that group. Certainly. All right, let's move on to tight end here. And we're going good because I know it's going to get difficult a little bit later. But tight ends, do we need to have a long conversation? It's pretty obvious, right? I, to me, it is. Maybe maybe the, the question is, who do you keep on the practice squad? Or maybe how those snaps will be divided among, among the top three tight ends? I would expect that Andrews and Boyle will receive the majority of snaps. Hurst, despite the first-round pedigree, did not have a camp or preseason uh, as as great as Andrews. Uh, Andrews was dominant. Scarf looks like the practice squad candidate. Looks very good. Big body, but he's actually mm-hmm. an adept receiver. I was out of camp for probably a dozen uh, practices. The Ravens gave me a press pass, and Scarf was making plays consistently. So I think he's a good practice squad candidate. Yeah, we certainly saw that in game four, and a lot of that elusiveness and the ability to play, uh, find a spot in his own coverage is exactly what we've been looking for at Hurst and not seeing it. And, you know, I, I'm we now have to look at Hurst as a second year player as he really needs to produce now at age 26. It's it's not later. There's no expected development coming in the future. Uh, you know, that, that would that we'd expect him to take a leap forward. This is the year where I'd expect him to, to do it if he's going to do it um, in, in terms of moving forward. And I agree with you. I think 
Boyle, because of the way they, they scheme up, will probably get the most snaps. Andrews the second most and Hurst the, the, the least of that group. Definitely, definitely. And the tight end is going to be featured in this offense. Uh, you can see it on the field, even the mm-hmm. second team, 13. They're, they're targeting tight ends, you know, 30, 40% of all passes they throw. Right. Probably two tight ends on 75% of those second half snaps with Scarf and Herdman both in the game. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, that's certainly what their Roman runs a two tight end one back offense as kind of the kind of his base, whereas most teams are, are playing 11 personnel. Sure, sure. All right, let's go. Let's move on to running back, and and uh, you know definitely a lot of intrigue around this position and some options for the Ravens. But let's hear who you have. Well, this was a really difficult decision to make. I originally penciled in four running backs all the way back after the draft when I made my first projection because it is expected to be a run-heavy offense. The position has a lot of injuries. You're likely going to need four backs to get through a season. At the end of the day, I expect Kenny Dixon to be released at this point. He's a fine player. He just has a lot of trouble staying on the field for a variety of reasons. He also skipped a portion of the team's OTAs way back in the spring, so it might not be quite up to Harbaugh's culture, that type of thing. Most importantly, running back is a replaceable position. Delance Turner can be promoted from the practice squad at some point. He's a serviceable back. And Tyler Irvin, who was very impressive throughout training camp, maybe he's on speed dial if he is not signed by another team and he could potentially be brought back to fill in if one of the three I have making the team, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, or Justice Hill, they need some help behind them. Yeah, they have a good mix of style fits in the potential practice squad players. So I'm in agreement with you that Turner and Irvin are both on the practice squad. I do think they'll make an attempt to trade Ken Dixon. I don't think there'll be much of a market for him. I think they're expecting just to, to cut him. And, you know, at this time of year, the typical thing you get for a for a fourth-year player that you're about to cut, there's no option value involved. So you get a conditional seventh-round pick or you get a player in the same position at a surplus talent position for that other team. And the Ravens have had several trades in their history that have been along those lines. So if they could find a team with a fourth-year surplus slot corner, <laughs> that would be perfect for the uh, for the Ravens' needs right now, I think. But uh, but I agree with you that it's, it's three. I I'm, I'm, have Patrick Ricard in with my running backs. I'm sure you probably have him on the team somewhere. So, uh, uh, But I have him in this group. Sure, absolutely. And, and again, it's just a positional value standpoint there. You could find a running back where you need to, and mm-hmm. uh, other positions you cannot as easily. Do you, do you think – do you trust Greg Roman – in particular, to be able to plug and play stylistically more than other coaches you would have? Because it, because I think I look at the Ravens as being more of a scheme team and more driven by the danger created by Lamar Jackson uh, than anything else. Completely, completely. Jackson unlocks the offense, creates rushing lanes. I think it's been four, three or four consecutive seasons now where the starting tailback to begin the year did not finish the season as the starter. And I know now this is Roman's first year, but he certainly had some input last year. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that every running back is a perfect scheme fit. Alex Collins, his slashing style didn't necessarily mesh with the run concepts last year. But in Edwards, Ingram, and certainly Hill, uh, I think those all those three certainly do. Yeah, they not only do they mesh well, they're highly complementary. You got the downhill, you've got the you got the hard cutter, 
in uh, in Justice Hill, and you got a, a power guy who's also a receiver in Ingram. I, I I love that combination of three guys. Strong group. I think one of the, the strongest trios of running backs the Ravens have ever had. Maybe not the top-end talent of a Jamal Lewis or a Ray Rice, but mm-hmm. one through three, very very high quality. Yeah, the, the group that I'm reminded of is the 08 group of LaRon McClain mm-hmm. uh, with the role of Gus Edwards and Ray Rice, Justice Hill, and um, and Willis McGahee and Mark Ingram. Sure, sure. Yeah, so pretty, a pretty good set of comps there. Very good comps. All right. Let's move on to quarterback here. And, you know, we may have a disagreement here, but tell me where you're going with this position first. So I don't think Trace McSorley is nearly the lock that, that some may suggest two weeks ago. I think he was on the outside looking in. He He's played a little bit better since. He has below average arm strength. He, he just doesn't necessarily have that arm talent. He's been able to compensate for that a little bit with uh, putting really nice touch on a lot of his passes. His decision, decision making really needs to improve. You can't have a quarterback who doesn't have a strong arm necessarily also making bad decisions, although he does bring other intangibles. And I do not believe he will be a special teams contributor whatsoever. That just doesn't, he doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the speed. He's not going to be blocking big linebackers or returning kicks. So I don't see how he fits in there. But at the end of the day, I think he is going to make the 53-man roster, albeit as a likely game day inactive. Right. It could it, it could certainly be the case. He could be the game day active if they can figure out the slash packages for him. You mentioned special teams, and I'm in agreement that I don't think he's really going to have much of a special teams role, not as a gunner, not as anything, really. Um, as a quarterback, he can't really run the same read option that Lamar does. Any kind of a disciplined defense, he doesn't have the speed to get outside or really threaten that outside run in the way that will make a defensive end or edge defender um, be uh, respectful of, of not pinching. So anyway, I, that's 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 a problem I have with McSorley. What I do have have liked is his accuracy on the outside ball, outside the numbers ball has been very good, and much better, frankly, than than Lamar Jackson's. And that's an area where I think the Ravens could make use of him. The other thing I really loved about him was the way he ran three out of the four games at least. He had a really good. Um, end of half drive where he just was quick in and out of the huddle when he needed to be throwing to the sidelines as he needed to be getting the clock stopped as needed, you know, quickly getting the play in. So there weren't delay of game penalties. I don't think he was flagged with anything like that this entire preseason. He had one head Bob for a false start that, you know, it's, it's, it was a, it was a ticky tack call probably shouldn't have come, but he's, he's looked very good in a lot of ways. Like you say, the one thing that I really don't like, is some of the interceptable balls that he threw uh, that he, frankly, got bailed out on or got a little lucky in terms of of drops by the defense. I completely agree with everything you just said. The question to me, what's what's the long-term outlook here? Because I don't think the Ravens want to have two young quarterbacks next season, so they're probably going to keep Griffin around, I would imagine, Robert Griffin. Um, I, I'm not sure if if I was in DeCosta's shoes, I probably would not keep McSorley. He does have intangibles, but I think you can find a comparable player in the next draft. But uh, it is the most important position on the field. So if you are going to carry an extra body, 
maybe that's maybe that makes sense. Yeah, from that perspective, I like it. I, you know, one of the issues that I'm trying to go through in my head is if RG3 has a relatively minor injury and it looks like he does, it looks like he'll be ready more or less by the opener. Maybe it'll be a, a week or two in, but is this the time to move on from RG3? He's he signed for another year, but they can move move on from him now with a million point five of dead money this year. So it's not not a lot. And McSorley could just be the backup quarterback, keep a guy a guy you keep around, and then maybe you bring in a different veteran when you need him. But when I really went through it in my head, I just think Griffin brings too much to the QB realm in terms of the leadership, the intelligence, and and what is really maybe more important, especially for Jackson, is that relatable perspective of how your career in the league will will progress and how you should avoid those big hits when you're running the football. So I just I, I thought Griffin really brings something to the room from that perspective. So I couldn't bring myself to to let him go in my roster prediction. Definitely. He he brings a ton to the quarterback room and to the practice field. And I think he's a great mentor for Lamar. And I'd like to keep him around for a few years if the Ravens can. So we'll see how it shakes out. All right, so it looks like we had we had mostly agreements on offense with I think the the only disagreement and you're you're keeping McSorley in the end, right? You're keeping number 3. Correct. All right. So the only disagreement we had is I'm I'm dropping Macari, but you're keeping 25 offensive players and I'm keeping 24. Yep. Yep. All right. Right there on the borderline with Macari with you there, but I do have him on. All right, fair enough. Let's move on to the defense where I think there there are a lot more crowded positions and some even more difficult decisions. Starting on that defensive line, uh, and why don't you speak through it first? And Sure. So uh, on the broadcast last night, I believe Sandusky projected Willie Henry off the roster, which I completely disagree with. I think he's an absolute lock, the best interior pass rusher on the team, at least from a, a defensive line standpoint. Patrick Ricard certainly earned his way on – with a fantastic preseason. He was inactive for most of the second half of last season, but he really uh, has shined throughout this uh, training camp and the preseason. Um, Dalen Mack, the rookie, started off slow in camp, but towards the end he outplayed both the practice squad, what I believe are practice squad candidates, Zach Sealer and Gerald Willis. It's a bit unusual to carry three natural nose guards, but Mack, can certainly two-gap just as well as Sealer, maybe not as a five, a prototypical five-tech with long arms. Uh, but the other thing to keep in mind, Michael Pierce will be an unrestricted free agent next offseason. So I have the Ravens keeping six defensive linemen, Michael Pierce, Brandon Williams, Willie Henry, Chris Wormley, Patrick Ricard, and Dalen Mack. Okay, I got the same guys, except I'm I'm calling Patrick Ricard a running back, so that's where I, I have him labeled. Willie Henry, it's it would be absurd to me to let him go. The, the last year, the Ravens sacked the quarterback 21.2 percent of the time with Willie Henry on the field, 11 out of 52 snaps. The highest for any other lineman on the Ravens was 6.4 percent for Brandon Urban. And it's not like the total sacks for those other players were much higher than 11. You know, they were 12 or 13 for each of those guys. So it's not like it's you know the the, the number is not credible because it's you know a very small uh, numerator. It's not. It's a similar numerator. So anyway, I, I think Henry is completely safe. And, and I was I was a little surprised that he was playing at the very end of that game. And I heard Harbaugh get a question 
about that from the podium as to why he was playing. He said he hadn't played that much, just felt like he needed the reps. He wanted to play. The other thing is the Ravens don't have a lot of extra defensive linemen on the 90-man roster, so they were really having to get through that game and try to figure out how to get extra players on the field. So Ricard did a wonderful job of eating up a ton of DL snaps, and maybe he has earned a few during the regular season. We'll see. I'm, I'm actually kind of skeptical that he's going to be used a lot on defense still, but maybe they'll find a role for him. I'd like to see him in a rotational role once in a while, keep keep uh, the big guys fresh. I think he can make some plays uh, from the defensive line as well as, obviously, as a fullback. But um, it, it's a good group. And as you said, they, they weren't carrying a whole lot of defensive linemen throughout. Sealer and Willis are both intriguing. Uh, they may be able to to earn their way back up with a year on the practice squad. I was excited about Willis when the Ravens signed him. He just never really found his footing. Mm-hmm. But uh, at least in positional drills at training camp, he looks like he does have a lot of skills. All right, well, Sealer is the big disappointment at camp to me. Um, he was a player last year who was extraordinarily disruptive during the preseason, uh, was supposedly the strongest Raven pound for pound, and he's a big man, so that's really hard to do. It's normally a, a, a linebacker, a Brendan Ian Badejo type who's a workout freak, who who can who is that strongest man? But in this case, Sealer was the guy, and and uh, to see him take this kind of a step back is really disconcerting. Another point I want to make about the defensive line is the Ravens don't use a lot of defensive linemen total snaps. In fact, last year they used 1.90 defensive line snaps per play, which was the fewest in Ravens history by a wide margin largely because they kick a linebacker inside in the dime package to rest the quarterback, an outside linebacker from the inside. So they have a lot of ones. They have a fair amount of twos because that's the nickel is is usually going to be with two defensive linemen. And then they have relatively few, only about 15.8% of the snaps. So they play the base defense where they would have three defensive linemen on the field. So it's hard to justify six roster spots for the defensive line I'm really only assigning, you know, five and a half, five and a quarter to that, including Ricard as the fractional player, um, you know, have these others. But if Daylon Mack is on the team, he's probably a, a game day inactive on most weeks. I think that's what we could honestly see. And, uh, you know, it is it is what it is. He'll he'll uh, hopefully be the guy uh, going forward because this preseason, he looked exactly like what I would hope the next Ravens dominant nose tackle would look like. Sure. Long arms. Uh, and that helps them certainly. And they don't, as you said, the NFL is changing. Teams are playing way more nickel, way more dime. And Martindale, he does have those linebackers, you know, for, for uh, with their hand in the dirt and a three-point stance a lot more often than, than people realize. Uh, so it's certainly helpful to have Ricard have that versatility. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, with the lack of interior pass rushers and the need to not play Willie Henry every single snap, will it be Wormley and Pierce who split a subset of those single defensive line pass rush snaps? Or could it be Ricard coming in for an occasional snap, which would have the advantage of, you know, he's been rested at least since the offense was on the field when he comes on to do that. So it's an interesting role for for Ricard. I mean, obviously it was was very effective against some second-tier talent in this preseason and also against some reasonable starting talent. But uh, but it would be interesting to me if they can manufacture an occasional effective pass rush snap out of Ricard during the regular season. 
It'd be huge. It would be huge to have a little bit more push coming from the interior, collapse in that pocket that really would elevate the defense from very good to perhaps great. All right, let's move on to inside linebackers. I think we got the same guys at defensive line. So inside linebacker, uh, who do you have? So I really thought about rolling with only three inside backers. Then I looked at some of the usage you were just talking about. They're using dime last year, 26% of all defensive snaps, according to Football Outsiders. Then again, the trio of Peanut Owasso, Kenny Young, and Chris Board, not necessarily proven. So the UDFA Alaka, he was my 53rd man. He beat out Brendan Trowick for uh, just by a nose. As for the starting will, as we said, I, I anticipate a committee approach between Young and Board. Okay, so that gives you that gives you really a three-man will rotation because those those three positions basically are mutually exclusive. You obviously have, you know the 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 two who play normally at the at the will spot on first and second down, but the but the dime guy also is in there to replace the will. So that's a uh, hopefully that platoon can be as effective as last year. Looking at last year for dime snaps during the during the regular season, so 277 looks right in terms of I'm, I'm getting over 28 percent. Interesting football outsiders number seems to be a little low. I I don't include pen, penalty snaps, but that's cool. And I'm not blaming you, obviously. I'm just interested and wanted to know if I was matching up with football outsiders. All right. All right. So um, I went with three. I went only with Owasso, Young, and Board. Owasso is going to wear the green dot, so he's out there every play, we presume. Obviously, there is risk to having three to get through an individual game if you got to a point where two guys got hurt. But it's normal for inside linebackers to play every every snap on a lot of other teams, or, or at least for one to play every snap and the other guy to play all the snaps except for the dime snaps where he gets replaced. So I'm, I, I don't think, you know, aside from the special teams loss they have, I don't think it would be that difficult to go with three. And the Ravens have proven their wiliness in an ability to uh, identify those good street-level UDFA, whatever it might be. Wherever they get a linebacker, they seem to make him into a good system linebacker. So while I like the Laka, and I really wanted to keep him on the team based on what he's done this preseason— I thought the roster spot, I just couldn't afford it to start with. I think he is a possibility for one of the spots come Sunday once they do their IR manipulation. But they have a couple guys they need to get on the roster for IR manipulation to start. That makes a lot of sense. Alaka still has some improvement to make as a special teamer. Uh, He's not necessarily a standout there. And the Ravens may be able to keep uh, Alvin Jones, I guess, on the practice mm-hmm. squad to give him a little bit of depth. So my, I guess the question would be, in an emergency situation, uh, who is playing linebacker if you lose two, I guess, during a game? I guess the obvious candidates would be Tyus Bowser, who, who played, I believe, Sam when he was uh, in college, and or perhaps maybe even Tony Jefferson but I didn't see them receiving any cross-training there at camp. Well, it depends on the game situation, boss. I mean, I think if you, if they're talking about needing to play some heavier defenses because they're behind in a game, in an emergency, that need is more dire in a sense because you need to depend on that run defender more. And I think, I think Bowser would probably be the guy uh, to stand up. He's done a little bit of it during the preseason last year. 
So it would make more sense. I don't want to mess him up the way they did Correa by having him trying to learn two positions. I mean, Bowser is a hell of a Sam linebacker, it would appear. He is the only backup Sam linebacker, and they're going to lose Matthew Judon at the end of this year. So they need to have that position taken care of. And Bowser appears to be a, a perfectly legitimate heir apparent and, and you know, is a, is a candidate for a long-term contract, uh, frankly, uh, at the end of this season. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, I, I would, he, was a, he was a roster lock from the beginning for me. I'm glad he's, he's played well in camp as well, but he was really never in, in danger for the, uh, for the spot there. But anyway, uh, going, back to your, going back to your point, you get through a game on an emergency basis how you can, and then you worry about the next week. And that's where I think the Ravens have, have a fairly easy time finding inside linebackers, and they'll keep one or two in the practice squad available to be brought up to fill a shortfall if they hold three. Makes sense. Uh, Stewart and the other UDFA, Ijai, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, They're serviceable players, I I suppose. Transitioning to uh, outside linebacker, um, Bowser, continuing that thread. For, uh, in my opinion, the best athlete on the team, pound for pound. He really uh, dominates in the individual work. And it's great to have both he and Tim Williams really stepping up this preseason, making Shane Ray expendable, who has already been released. Yeah, well, that's good news. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It was not, su- not a surprise. But Bowser and Williams, the two of them, are going to need to take a lot of snaps this year. And, and I'll make this point in general about the group. Last year, the Ravens played 2,222 outside linebacker snaps that were spread across the 963 regular season defensive snaps. That excludes kneels, spikes, and penalties. So that's 2.31 outside linebackers per snap. Anyway, uh, the the point I want to make here is that the Ravens ought to be looking to figure out how can you get percentages that add up to 2.3 out of those five inside linebackers because I think they'll play a similar amount this year. So what I'd like to see is Judon at 70%, Williams and Bowser each at approximately 50%, McPhee may be around 35. I don't think his body can do much more than that. I want him paying high leverage snaps. And then Ferguson at 25, I think, is more realistic for his rookie season in terms of his likelihood to do. But they've already done some things with Ferguson I like in terms of moving him inside and being that other guy along with McPhee who can line up uh, as the joker. Definitely. McPhee, I think, was maybe the Costa's most savvy signing. He will should slide into that Zadarius Smith role to be able to beat up on guards in the interior pretty well. And uh, he does bring that veteran presence that they, uh, they were lacking after the, the free agency. Um, and I, I certainly agree with Ferguson as well. He, his power plays at this level. He still needs to refine his technique, add some counter moves, but I think late, late in games, late in the season, he can uh, be disruptive in the backfield as well. Yeah, it's it's uh it's great to have McPhee that, that first step on the inside, that explosive first step from McPhee. I haven't really seen it this preseason, but he's not been on the field that many times for an inside rush. Maybe you know four or five plays in total so far. Um, but that that in 2014 really drove the Ravens' 56 sack season. Was it 56 or 60? No, that's 60 was 2006. 56 sack season. And Doomerville and Suggs put up great numbers, 
but a lot of it was based on the double teams that that McPhee was drawing on the inside. And if he can bring any part of that, if just the first step remains, he gets gets some shoulder turn. There's a lot of talent for exploiting turned shoulders from the uh, from the linebacker core in this in this defense. McPhee, I believe, was near the top league leaders in quarterback pressures that season. Certainly, he's not the same player he was. That that knee has uh, his knee problem, which I think he suffered his rookie year, is degenerated. But he, he's a, a good player, and I think the uh, the narrative that the Ravens' pass rush is doomed is is pretty overblown at this point. Martindale. He helped, certainly helped Suggs and Smith last year with his aggressiveness, and he's going to scheme up pressure one way or another. Okay. Did we just get some news here that Willie Henry has been released? Yeah, I had to step out of the room, so I missed when you guys were going through the defensive line. So oh I wanted to make goodness. sure not to interrupt, but Ian Rappaport is reporting that Willie Henry has been informed that the Ravens are releasing him. So wow. there's, your first, there's your first surprise mid-show. That's- that's an enormous surprise. So, boy, I don't even know who they're keeping then or planning to rush from the inside with. Uh, whoa, that's that's big news. This, is gonna, this will be very disruptive to the rest of the show in much the same right. way that Willie Henry was supposed to be disruptive in terms of his pass rush this season. <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue and, and get through this, get this posted before, before uh, Lamar Jackson is caught here. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know if anyone else gets cut in the show. <laughs> we do appreciate that. Thanks, Josh. Uh, anyway, outside linebacker, I think we've got the same five guys here in the end, do we not? We do. Judon McPhee, yeah. Williams, Bowser, Ferguson. Anybody on the anybody practice squad worthy? Uh, Adoya or? Um, the gentleman. Let me pull up my sheet here. Uh, Mike Anuaha. He's uh he's he's got uh, some. Some length, some bend. I believe he broke his wrist or he suffered an injury, so he might be a developmental player. I think he was he was already given an injury settlement, if I recall. It's not that okay. they couldn't bring him back for the practice squad, but but I think that's where he is right now. So, uh, you know, they'd have to make a move for him. Okay. All right, let's move on to safety. Um, you know, very deep position. Let's uh, let's hear your call first. The Ravens love their safeties. They they carry more safeties in most teams, and for good reason. Levine, Clark, and Elliott are all assets in the uh, substitution, the big nickel and the dime. Trowick is my 54th man, so I guess now he's my 53rd man with the Willie Henry news. Uh, I was surprised uh, that, uh, I guess bottom line is the Ravens already have a handful of special teams aces. If they really wanted to keep Trowick, I guess uh, they could release Alaka. I think those two are kind of head-to-head in a battle. but um, So my safeties are Earl Thomas, Tony Jefferson, Anthony Levine, Chuck Clark, and Deshaun Elliott. Okay, I have the Ravens keeping the same five. The one thing I'll say about this, a couple things about this. First is that it's an old position, and the Ravens need to be aware of that and try and figure out who Deshaun Elliott is in terms of where he can play. Can he play the back end effectively such that he can be a true strong safety or free safety in this league? Or does he have to play dime? Or this year, there actually is an opportunity with the loss of Tavon that if the if the Ravens can't really find that slot corner, Deshaun Elliott as a big nickel has been an absolute monstrous hitter in the run game. And I would love to see him have the combination responsibility of covering that slot receiver and also 
what he can bring off the edge when the other team runs the ball, it'd be it, that'd be very exciting. So I think there's an opportunity for him to him in that big nickel role. Uh, we got a little bit different description of what big nickel means on the broadcast last night. I thought that was kind of kind of funny to hear. But anyway, we won't go into that. Uh, we got the same five guys at safety, and uh, and uh, I think we're good on that. How about cornerback? So cornerback, it's really a question of how severe the injuries are to. Young and Biggie Marshall, I expect both of them to land on injured reserve without the return designation. The Ravens are cautious with serious injuries. That like the one Tavon has seems somewhat similar to maybe Zach Orr and Marshall. We don't know what the injury is right now. Um, so bottom line, I I, uh, I think Carr is going to be the primary nickel. He was working there in camp even before Tavon's injury. He is physical. He can blitz well. And the ability to contest at the catch point should play pretty well. And then Anthony Averitt can be deployed when they play, particularly shifty slot receivers. Um, Bottom line, I have six. Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Brandon Carr, Anthony Averett, Cyrus Jones, and Justin Bethel, I don't think the Ravens want to see Jones or Bethel seeing too many snaps on defense, but they both bring tremendous value to special teams as return return man, punt returner, obviously, and the gunner. Okay, got big differences here. Okay. Um, at cornerback, and I was expecting this to be the way, I'm, I, I have both Tavon and Iman being carried on the roster initially to – be put on IR prior to Sunday after the waiver process is done. And so the Ravens will then be able to elevate, elevate a player that they put on the practice squad at that point, put those guys on IR that is not season ending. Now you said it in here, you said not with a designated to return. They don't actually have to designate to return, but are you expecting them to put them on the initial roster or you're saying not? Right. So, so I was expecting before the Willie Henry news, I should say, Mm -hmm. I was expecting to be placed on injured reserve, therefore season they, ending. They, right. So season instead of being on the roster f- tomorrow when they so then and then they can come back. Right. Season ending. Yes. Very good. Very good. Okay. So I, I'm hopeful at least at least that Iman Marshall does not lose this whole season. They could carry him initially if that injury is not too serious. I don't really know the nature of it. It seems more likely and also more useful to have a mid-season replacement at cornerback. So I have I have both Tavon and, and Iman going there. It could be just one of the two. It could be they're careful with Tavon. They've got a lot of money tied up in him, and they just wait till next year. Um, it could also be that that uh, Iman uh, is a guy they'd like to have. Maybe they could even have him back by week three, but they say, look, we got a, we got a reasonable set of corners here, but we'll plan for injuries and have a DTR corner and Iman can come back in week eight or nine, I guess it would be, and help us down the stretch. They got that out of Maurice Kennedy in 2017. He helped them a lot in exactly that return role. And uh, I think that having good experience with it, they'll like that. Now, I had one other difference. I have Maurice Kennedy on the team. I do not have Justin Bethel on the team. Uh, Kennedy, I think, gives them that extra guy if something happened to Carr uh, who would take over the slot role. And I, I know a lot of people think Cyrus Jones would be the obvious guy there. Kennedy's played exclusively on the outside so far, but he played the entire second half of 2017 in the slot. And he actually played pretty well. 
the play that people remember from 2017 where he didn't play well, they were actually asking him to play safety in a cover three. So it wasn't really the same role that he'd been playing the whole season. In fact, they they won the Colts game with Kennedy making a contested play on fourth and ten, I think, uh, on the Colts' final final uh, offensive play, which was the next to last game. Then they had to beat the Bengals, and of course, he he made three mistakes on that fourth and twelve play. But the biggest mistake was putting Kennedy back back there in the in the in the uh, to start, which I put on Dean Pease. So sure, <laughs> yeah, I, I really. I uh, I think I'd like to see Kennedy kept. He is a one-year guy because he's a UFA at the end of this year, but uh, I think he brings a lot of value. And and Bethel, they're going to have to cut at some point prior to Week 10 to get the draft pick back. So it's a matter of is it worth carrying him for nine weeks here for the value he brings, which is considerable on special teams, or would they do better to have another cornerback who actually can play some of the on defense some? And I just think I don't want to expose a player to start the season who will likely be lost. I'd rather, uh, you know, take the take the hit from Bethel going, even though the coverage units for the Ravens have not looked particularly good this preseason. That makes a lot of sense. Definitely. If it was up to me, I would probably not keep Bethel. Uh, the Ravens do uh, prioritize special teams and it's won them some games. It's won them a lot of key games over the last few years. Canada. I think he had kind of a rough a rough summer overall, both in practice and some of the games, and not all his fault, but he he has suffered quite a few injuries, and I don't know if it maybe took away some of his ability. Um, Marshall, in my mind, is a better player at this point than Canada, so a lot of it depends on the the, the nature of his injury. Yeah, I mean it is Kennedy's a candidate if he's not playing well to be released if if. Iman comes back off injured reserve. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the main, just the main reason, because he's a UFA at the end of the season. I mean, you, you're, if, if he's not playing well, you know, this is Kennedy's last shot, obviously with the Ravens. Um, they don't have any more rights to him than anybody else at the end of this year. So, uh, so, you know, he's a candidate anyway to make room for Iman if, uh, if he's not playing well. But anyway, I, I, I like him. I, I thought he played well in the fourth preseason game, particularly almost had the interception on the sideline pass, which was a nice undercut. There were I, I just saw enough to like and I have enough to like from the past from his slot play that I think he's worth the worth the gamble on this roster. Fair enough. Um, Terrell Bonds, the former AAF participant, uh, has he shown you enough to uh, be in consideration for the practice squad? Sure. I mean, he's a he's a slot corner for starters. So mm-hmm. in, in that perspective, I kind of like him. Uh, I'm trying to think of even who they who else they have on the roster who is a practice squad candidate. Jean Baptiste is is in the final year of his rookie deal. So he's not. And then it's Fish Smithson is the only other guy I think is on the roster at corner. So it's Bonds it would be the only guy. And it's just a numbers game with that. They're going to have to consider other players. And how many of these guys they can actually keep of players like Sealer and Willis and Jones and Turner and Irvin and Scarf and Wesley and Monster and uh, Macari and perhaps even Cresselius. I don't know if he's been given an injury uh, settlement yet, but in terms of going back to the offensive line, a guy who might possibly be a, a help at tackle would be Cresselius. Yeah, he's been out for over a month now, I believe, with a concussion. And he was he was lining up on the interior before he went out. But I, it's 10 practice squat spots, correct? 
it sounds right. And, and they're not all going to come from the Ravens. The Ravens are going right. to like guys from other teams. So, yeah. Sure, sure. And I think they do get a free spot, if I recall, for Azealia because he's an international player. So they get like one extra bonus spot for him. Yeah, the IPP exemption, I believe. That's good. It's good. Even if even if that's not the correct name for that, you said it with such authority. I'm sure it's correct. It, it's it's on my sheet here that, uh, <laughs> that, that the Ravens gave me a training camp, so I'm going with it. I don't know what IPP stands for, but I'm using it. <laughs> International Player Protocol. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I guess international player might be in there, might be in there somehow. Uh, <laughs> so we'll go to the specialist where I think we probably have no disagreement. No, no, okay. the Wolfpack, right? Wolfpack rides on. The one one comment I want to make about this is that I really hope the Ravens do not launder the draft pick they got for Corey Vedvik because as they go through the next year's draft. You know, obviously, if they trade their fifth and a third, uh, you know, move up in the second round and get the guy they want there, it's it's nice, but it's but it won't be like a, a one for one what they got for Kari Vedvik. This trade should live in infamy it, for for the for the Vikings and you know be celebrated for all time like Tom Brady as a sixth round pick is for the for the Pats. Uh, you know, it's it's a really a, a a good story and a part of NFL lore that could be great if they don't launder the darn pick. Sure. Long time since a kicker received any trade compensation. Um, one point I want to make about special teams, there's a there's been a, a lively debate at our Baltimore Beatdown community about the value of a, a punt returner, so to speak. Obviously, kick returns are, are being mitigated um, and some believe that that's not worth a roster spot. And I, I just completely disagree with that. If a long snapper, a specialized position such as long snapper, deserves a roster spot, a, a punt returner certainly does as well. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the counter argument just for the sake of the show. Okay. Okay. Now, but here's here's my point: the long snapper, the holder, and the kicker are all involved directly in points, and as such, a change by even a small percentage can be defended in, from an expected points perspective that I think you can get to pretty quickly. Here's the problem with special teams players. Whether they're kick coverage players or punt returners, they do not participate in the exchange of down and distance. And as such, they can never be as important as offensive or defensive players. So the, the game of football is basically played to exchange possessions by down and distance. And you, you uh, it, to do that, you have to play offense or defense. If you look at special team salaries across the entire league, it entirely supports my theory that they're not as valuable and, and, and aren't paid as much. Sure, not as valuable, but more valuable than the seventh defensive lineman. Uh, when you look at the Ravens' history from Jermaine Lewis to Jacoby Jones, mm-hmm. and then you see uh, Marquise Brown muffing punts last night, yes. and then you see Cyrus Jones running punts back for touchdowns last season, there is certainly some value there. I, I, I put more on the punt returner than I put on the on any kick coverage players. It's kick coverage players who really can never be the kind of value. So that's it's really an anti-Justin Bethel comment. Is sure. That, is that you can't really afford to play a guy for just kick coverage uh, uh, because it's it's just it doesn't participate in that. But I would agree with you basically, and was taking the counterpoint only for for the show anyway. That the punt returner has some definitely some big exchange of value with the fumbles and and even some of the splash plays they can make. Certainly, and I agree on the on the coverage and the. And, and those type of special teams maven guy. All right. 
All right. One thing I wanted to make sure we got to at the end of this episode was what does the front office need to do from this point forward to secure this roster and to shore it up with some of the holes that exist right now? Do you want to take one one place you'd like them to move forward? Left guard would be the place for me if if a if a serviceable, experienced left guard becomes available. I think the Costa should pounce. We've seen Hurst for several years now. I believe he's best utilized as a backup swingman type. He's had a few game, good, solid games here and there. The uh, performance last year against Von Miller in Denver, he received a lot of help. That was a good game. Mm-hmm. But he's had quite a few down games, especially the most recent playoff loss to the Chargers. I think if the Ravens can find a mauler who can also anchor, I think that would be a big upgrade. And uh, it would just kind of allow all the dominoes to fall into the right place on the offensive line and, and fill that last possible remaining weakness. Well, so that is a spot certainly where the Dallas Cowboys may have an input for the rest of the league. And I'm sure Dallas is trying to trade whatever backup interior lineman they have now uh, that they're considering cutting. So uh, good opportunity there. And, uh, and I wouldn't disagree with you. It is going to create some interesting decisions on how they cut somebody along that line because it's basically going to have to be a younger player that they release unless they release James Hurst I guess they could do that but they're going to have to be satisfied that their tackle depth uh meets the meets the level to me that the backup tackle situation much more dire in terms of the potential loss than what they would downgrade the team from having to go from Hurst to Bozeman, to Powers, to whoever the, the the next opportunity is. They've got a lot of opportunities for something to work out with those guys on the interior otherwise. I definitely agree there, and I think it'll be okay and they'll be fine, and left guard is maybe the least valuable position of all 11 on offense. Um, I just, I'm not sure that any decent backup tackles are going to shake free. Some teams don't even have two quality tackles to start, uh, so to expect a team to release a third or a fourth quality tackle, uh, it may it may not materialize. No, I, I wouldn't expect it. And almost any tackle would go in trade because they're so. And we've seen that the last few years. We've seen absurd prices paid for, you know, marginal NFL, almost street level talent. You know, gets a sixth or a or a seventh uh, for a guy who's obviously we cut Bergstrom and Barranco come to mind as guys who, you know, Barranco was more of an inside guy, but Bergstrom was really thought to be more of a tackle. And, you know, if you can get a six, if you, if that kind of a player can draw a sixth or seventh round pick, I mean, boy, what's the world coming to is all I have to say. (laughs) Well, and that's exactly what the Ravens seem to be doing with Willie Henry as Ian Rappaport has followed up that the papers for his release won't be filled out till tomorrow afternoon at four so it seems more like a leak to see if they can trade Willie Henry in the next 24 hours. Clever, clever. Well, thanks, Josh. That's a that's a that's a great point. I got one position I want to want to cost to do a little bit of homework in, and that's slot corner. The Ravens in 2010 acquired Josh Wilson before the season started for a fourth round pick. I believe it was a fourth, might have even been a fifth. But anyway, that trade was just a marvelous one. If there is a player of his ilk that would come available. Uh, and and you, you find that motivated seller. And actually, they, they don't really even have to be motivated. They just have to be ambivalent to two different players at the position, one a veteran and maybe one a younger player. And they have to say, you know what? If they'll give us a fourth-round or fifth-round draft pick, we we get rid of Johnny here. That's the guy we need to go pick up 
to, to fill the slot corner position. And the Ravens draft capital, I have no problem using it at slot corner for this season. Just to throw some names at uh, some of these possible and see if something sticks will look like geniuses mm-hmm. here. Uh, Green Bay Packers slot corner, I believe uh, Josh Jackson, uh, he may be available. And then on the offensive line, the Eagles uh, backup tackle slash guard uh, Vitae. Uh, oh. He could also be potentially traded. The Eagles are maybe the one team that has excellent depth on the offensive line throughout their, their first-round picks going to start the season as a backup. Okay. Now, I'm thinking Mylotta is who I'm thinking of, is the right tackle, that 6'8 monolith who played against the Ravens this last week. Vitae is more of a guard, I'm thinking. He, he backed up, uh, actually started the Super Bowl that they won when Peters went down with injury. He's a huh. serviceable player at tackle, and he could definitely be a, a pretty good guard, I think, if he kicked inside. Okay. Probably probably a, a, a guy. I'm wondering what, uh, what might be the required compensation on a player like that then. At least a mid-rounder with the market the way it is. Uh, even uh, we remember uh, Shipley, the center. Ravens a few years yes. back tore his ACL last year and then the Arizona gave him a contract for this year after he hurt himself a lucrative contract so yes just uh, driving home the point offensive line is scarce throughout yeah there you go all right well uh uh let's continue on here if we if we can so we both I think we've got a slot corner and OL or two positions that we're we're doing uh Josh let's talk a little mailbag here we have any questions coming in yeah, we got some questions coming in on Twitter using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag, as well as some questions and comments coming on over at FilmStudyRavens.com. So uh, first one up here is, uh, why don't the Ravens just move Cyrus to safety where he won't need to play in man coverage as much and they can still move him around and use his strengths? Okay, I'll, th- I'll take a crack at this, that first. I think actually slot corner probably does get at Cyrus Jones's strengths uh, at, as such as they are. He's He's got good change of direction speed. He's got some quick twitch ability there. Uh, you know, obviously some of that from his punt return. He's got a fair amount to learn about playing defense in the NFL in terms of reading the receiver. Uh, I think he's done some good things to read the quarterback this preseason. Uh, one on the interception, the other on a pass defense uh, that was on a, on a little screen pass where he got by a, a defender. So he has good He's good reaction skills, maybe some reading skills for the quarterback, but it's reading that receiver that is where Cyrus Jones has some has some time still to move forward in this league. And he, he has not played a lot of cornerback in his NFL career. The simple answer is the Ravens have they're almost three deep at safety, but they uh, they're barely two deep at corner. Uh, to the point about uh, the receivers, you know, you expect he should be actually. Decent at that. They, they use a pattern matching system at Alabama. Uh, Marlon Humphrey and Anthony Averett also played in that system, and they can read receivers pretty well. Uh, Jones is what he is. Uh, I don't think it's a terrible idea, but with the numbers the way they are, I think it makes more sense to keep in that corner right now. All right. Uh, Brad is wondering if there's any value to the Ravens keeping Bethel over Treywick. I, I would say I would prefer if they're going to keep one of the two to go ahead and keep Trollwick. Um He's he's of similar special teams value, probably a little bit behind, but he's been an all, a, a Pro Bowl special teams player as well. Um, but you you gain back a fifth round pick, and Ravens fans should look at the Justin Bethel situation as as this. 
Come along week week nine, the Ravens have a built-in option to trade Justin Bethel for a fifth-round pick and possibly for a fourth-round pick. It's going to be one or the other, and it's based on whether or not Brent Urban qualifies for the formula. So it's it's really, you know, if you whether it's a fifth-round pick or a fourth-round pick, I'm jumping on that in a heartbeat based on who Justin Bethel is. I, I just I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. So if you're going to do if you know you're going to do that, you may as well keep Trawick as your guy because you get him for the whole season. I concur with that. And just so everyone's clear, we're discussing the compensatory pick formula where the UDFAs that you sign versus the ones that you lose are put in and cancel each other out. So Bethel signed away from the Cardinals could if if released, he could qualify the Ravens to receive another mid-round pick and continue assembling that draft capital that DaCosta has already. Yeah, so it's, a, it's the comp pick for Terrell Suggs that would be recovered if Justin Bethel is cut, and it's a comp pick for, for John Brown if Urban doesn't qualify for the formula that would be in question. So he says a lot of opportunity built in there. All right. Um, let's see. Let's get over to the website. All right, so – the Ravens just uh, won 17 straight preseason wins, 17 meaningless games, and uh, it's the most since 1963 when the Packers won 23 mm-hmm. straight. What happens first? Do the Ravens pass that record, or do preseason games go away? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I would love for the preseason to be going away, but it's not going away that quick. They've got a, they've got a lot to work out in terms of how they – replace TV revenue, as I think you brought up before, Josh, and, and and to replace, figure out how the ticket revenue will still work. I don't think that's as hard a decision as the TV revenue, honestly. But but anyway, going go back to the Packers winning streak for a while, that era was very different. They did a lot of barnstorming in that era where the Packers would go play all over the place and they'd play their starters for a good portion of the game and they'd lean on and, and, and keep the... Uh, uh, beating the crap out of opponents in that era, and of course the, that was the title town Packers, who were very good in that era. So it's uh, uh, you know a group that eventually was beaten by the College All Stars in 1963 to end that winning streak at 23. The Ravens have an unbelievable systemic way of winning these games. We've talked about it a little bit on this show. I don't want to go over it entirely, but the chance of winning 17 in a row by accident. If you're a 500 team, is less than one in 131,000. So uh, this isn't happening by accident. Well, well, uh, I expect the Ravens to keep winning as long as the preseason's around. I mean, they're not going to win forever, but and I don't think they're going to completely eliminate the preseason either. There is some value in seeing players in live action, but the Ravens assemble draft picks and develop players and coach maybe more aggressively than other teams in the preseason. So. I think they're deeper than most other teams, and, and that continues to lead them to victory. Right. It's, it's cons- the consistent depth is is it's small school scouting because they're doing more with the bottom end of their draft board. They're doing more with, with figuring out who the UDFAs they want to sign are. They do more with compensatory picks than almost any other team. So those extra picks are providing them that extra depth within their 90. So it's a, it's a whole bunch of things going on. It is coaching to some degree. I kind of was amused that, that Harbaugh taking a lot of the credit for the for the coaching point of view. And I don't know that he's really taking a lot. I think, you know, he just he wants to credit everybody, basically. But I think it really is mostly just depth of talent assembled more than anything else, because it's twos versus twos and threes versus threes 
that are winning these games for the Ravens in the second half. That's mostly done on defense, and it's mostly done with that depth. I, I like that you're taking the the meaningless wins and saying it, it means we're drafting well. Yes, it, it means the front office wins. is doing well. Yeah, meaningless wins, but it, the undercurrents, the reasons for these wins are anything but meaningless. All right, uh, a couple more. We're going to go with two more questions from the website. Uh, first one up is I'm hoping Powers is working his way through the left guard position uh, at some point this year, but thus far concerned about his frequent penalties. Is there a consistent theme to his infractions? Is he getting beat at a particular move, speed, or something? This is from Brian. Okay, so I'll, I'll speak to one of these, and maybe you can remember a different one, Voss, but last night the first penalty was very ticky-tack. The second was was legitimate. But the first one came with arms extended against the uh, defensive tackle. I'm forgetting the guy's name right now. Jojo somebody. Um, but anyway, he, he had arms extended. It appeared the tackle actually slipped, and Powers might have helped him the rest of the way to the ground with arms extended, which would be natural that you kind of look like you're pushing down on that guy and maybe throwing him to the ground. Um, to, to me, that was a completely within-the-frame block that probably shouldn't have been flagged. Uh, maybe there's another angle that would convince me otherwise. But uh, the problem is the damning consistency of these penalties. He's had four now in three games. And uh, and that just is that's too many penalties, period. I think he's going to work his way into the group down the line, but he needs some development. He was drafted in the fourth round, not necessarily as a plug and play guard. He He's shown some some good attributes, certainly both pass blocking and run blocking, but he needs a little more seasoning for sure. All right. Uh, Chip Rose is wondering. Uh the best ways to watch the Ravens games this season. If you have cut the cord and dish cable, if there's any app subscriptions that come closest to the DVR, if you want to watch, uh, watch the Ravens game without cable. Okay. Well, I mean, the only thing I suggest to people who are, who are PSL owners is make sure you get your game pass subscription. Cause it's free. The Ravens have sent you a code for it in uh, about two weeks ago to, to, to sign up for that. Other than that, I'm not into the torrents and stuff online where these illegal free versions of the games are given. And he mentioned the DVR specifically. I can't do anything without the DVR, really, in terms of analysis. All other methods, including Game Pass, are frustrating for any kind of timing or to go back and forth to pick up numbers and and do some of the other work I do. So to me, the DVR is king, and, and you really need to have the either the DirecTV feed or, or, a, or a Fios feed or other feed that's good for that. Uh, yeah, if, if Chip wants to reach out to me on Twitter, I can help him out a little bit because I've been doing some research now that I'm down in Florida and figuring out. And uh, don't deal with the streams and the illegal streams. They're a huge pain and not worth it at all. I know a lot of college kids that get through that. If you're truly a football fan, it's not worth dealing with. Um, but they don't make it easy for you, especially if you're out of town. If you're in town and trying to cut cable, it's real easy. Put an antenna on your roof. And you can get every Ravens game <laughs> in, be- in better quality than the cable company. Wow. So, yeah, it's uh, uncompressed if you put an antenna up on your roof where the cable company will compress. So is it, you, you receive an analog signal and you, you... You receive a digital signal. Okay. I was you, trying to use a big yeah. word. I knew that would go wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, you record. So basically Comcast, DirecTV, Verizon, they all compress the video quality to make it smaller so they can not use bandwidth. You put an antenna on your roof, it's broadcasting from uh, WJZ, I guess, uh, straight down the antenna, full uh, bandwidth. 
Okay, so here's my question for you, Josh. Yeah. Let's let's say I, I got the games via antenna and yes. I record them on the DVR in the way that I always have, which I assume is possible. Because yes, I, I think it is. I think you can go from antenna for for Directv, I believe. Will I get more frames or refreshes per second? At you will get what you will get is a slightly crisper picture. Okay. So I don't think you'll get more frames. I, I have to look. It's been a while since I've checked it, but I believe you'll at least get a sharper picture and more. I guess it's more frames because when you do your pause and click through, it will, will be clearer. Okay, so I don't think it's more frames, honestly, because I think 1080i is 30 refreshes per second, which right. which allows you to time events in football down to 0.03 seconds of accuracy. Yeah, the frames should be the same because – but it's really it's it's just a it's just a better overall picture. All right, all right. So, Thanks, all right. Josh, I'm interested in anything you hear about that, buddy. Hey, I'm a. All right. Well, my knowledge so far is that I'm gonna get the NFL Sunday ticket, and you can get if you are a student, which I'm not, but my brother is, you can get it on a online only subscription for a hundred bucks. Oh, that's for nice. the season, and that's worth paying for to not deal with illegal streams. If you are not a student, it is $350, and you also have to prove to DirecTV that you cannot put a dish on your roof. Wow. So okay. <laughs> uh, I would suggest find a student, use their email. It was real easy for me to set up. So Very all right, good. But that's the mailbag. Again, you can always get your questions in using hashtag FilmStudyMailbag on Twitter or over on FilmStudyRavens.com. Just comment on any of the posts over there, and that gets to us. Um, again, if you can help out the show, write a review over on iTunes. That always helps. We got a big week this week for reviews. I normally try to read them when they come in. We've got too many to read right now, so I'm just going to pick this one, uh, and we'll just continue to read one each time we go through. Thank you for sending in your reviews. All right, we're going to go with uh, – we're going to go with – this one that says the most knowledgeable Ravens podcast, extremely hardworking and dedicated Raven experts give both film based and statistical based player and scheme analysis. They know the Ravens roster better than any podcasters or radio hosts. I know of unique offensive lines, statistical grading and breakdowns of Raven schemes in tune with Twitter and national media sports news and draft news. And then one more comment that also said simply the best Ravens podcast and had a little note. If the host ever reads this, I'd love to hear more interviews with players. Thanks for doing this. Wonderful. That's so nice to hear, Josh. Thanks for reading that. Yep. So, all right, Ken, why don't you break down? Well, I guess first let's uh, let Voss share what's going on over at Baltimore Beatdown and what you've got that you're working on. Uh, Baltimore Beatdown, we have a blog, a lively community, very knowledgeable fans. You really enjoy interacting with them. We post between three and five uh, new fresh content articles daily. I am a editor and a writer. We also have a podcast that uh, that I've taken a step back from, but I'm still an occasional guest. It's called the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. Um, and uh, and we encourage you to come and then talk Ravens in our, in our comment section. Okay. So I've, I have really noticed the quality of comments on the Baltimore Beatdown site is a very high level that you guys always had a lot of it interest in talking offensive line over there and talking about, well, lots of things, Ravens. I don't want to, not just any one particular thing, but, uh, but a very, very 
friendly, very nice community. And, and it's got uh, Kyle Barber is one of the nicest guys around. Is, is he still in charge of the whole thing? or is that He is. He is. I'm okay. his number two. Kyle does a great job. All right. Always appreciate watching practice with him uh, when I had the opportunity. Uh, Voss, anything you're writing that you want to tell us about that's coming out soon? Uh, well, we're going to be doing the season kicks off right now. I'm just doing the daily Ravens news uh, in addition to editing. Once the season kicks off, well, I will have a the underrated player or the overlooked player of the week column and then a primer for each game, including some gambling information and mm-hmm. the key matchups every week, three or four or five one-on-one individual matchups between the Ravens and their opponents. Okay, so three pieces in total per week then from you. In addition to the daily, uh, basically the links, or uh, it's almost like an aggregator where I take a blurb from here and there and, and keep people informed. Got it. Okay, so kind of like late for work used to be with. Yep, similar okay. to late for work. Yep, we call it Ravens News. Imagine that. All <laughs> Real <right>. simple. <laughs> I can. What's coming up on Film Study Ravens? And then I guess let's talk about our podcast schedule for next week as we get ready for week one. Right. Ramping up. This is very exciting. Well, the big podcast this week will be a Know Your Foe episode with Travis Wingfield um, from uh, Locked on Dolphins. And he is one of the really fine statistical analysts with any organization around the league. He's definitely the best the Dolphins have got. And, and he's one of the really fine ones in the entire league. So a few people that I put up in that category, and I really uh, appreciate Travis's work. I did one show with him and a you know, natural uh, bonding over this, and we've uh, we've agreed to do an exchange of podcasts here coming up. So uh, he'll he'll be extremely good about telling us what's going on with the with the Miami Dolphins and telling us just about what they run uh, in terms of personnel uh, around the uh, uh, various packages and whatnot. So anyway, looking forward to that. Uh, I will have another uh, offensive line scoring piece uh, that looks back at Patrick McCarry uh, and perhaps uh, Greg Sanat this week at some point. I want to make sure that gets out there. People seem to have been appreciating those after the fact, so we'll want to do that. Uh, that's all I have planned for right now, but I'm sure we'll come up with something before next Sunday as well, or before a week from Sunday that we'll, we'll want to do as well. How right, about you, Josh, right. on 336? Tell us what's going on there. Uh, I'm continuing to do three through six dailies every day, talking uh, a lot of Baltimore Orioles and talking through uh, this whole storm and everything going down in Florida as my first hurricane. Uh, And then we've got section 336, which records every Monday night, which is a fun look at the end, informative look at the Orioles season, even though it's the one of the worst seasons they've had. And uh, it's actually when you break it down for a season of rebuilding, it's actually been a pretty good season. Hmm. Away, away from the uh, win-loss column. So we, we talk about that and a whole lot more every Monday night. I, now, are Ken, you? Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was moving on. I was going to say, do you have an MILB subscription? Because that's one thing I've really been enjoying in the dearth of Orioles, you know, good news this year. Yeah, I pay a lot of attention to the MILB because that's where the, all the excitement is. That is what gives you hope for the future for the Orioles. There you go. So you can oftentimes about every third game of Adley Rutschman seems to be on TV somewhere and you can go down and watch his at bats one for one. If you don't, you can watch it in the box one for one. Uh, but right. anyway, it's it's, a, it's yes, but don't expect like good video quality. Yes, it's kind of a hit or miss. It's whatever that stadium happens to have. And it, it, sometimes it's a camcorder like strapped to the third base line. 
Yes, it's it's often a single camera approach, often high up behind home plate, so you don't you don't right. follow the ball to see it hit the wall or go over the wall in the outfield. It's uh, but anyway, I found it very entertaining to 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 see some players uh, hit around the Orioles organization. Anyway, please visit us, uh, filmstudyravens.com. Uh, keep looking for content. Uh, I'm at Film Study Ravens. He's at Josh Sharoka. Can I spell that for them? Uh, it's Josh S R O K. It's it's uh. Just like it sounds. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but, Ken, before you close this out, there's one more plug that we got to do. And that's over on FilmStudyRavens.com as we experimented with video this past week. And you took us through about it's a 30-minute video breaking down some of the Ravens' defenses. So when you're watching the game on TV, you kind of know the how they're lining up. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I, hopefully that will be of interest to people still for a while. But it, it breaks down all of the 2018 personnel packages that the Ravens played on defense into, you know, when do they typically run them? How often do they run them in total? So the Ravens, for instance, only play their base defense 15.8% of the time, but they play the nickel 53.7% of the time. I show you how I look at them as an analyst who records the personnel on the field every play, how I actually do that. So you, you divide the, the defense into a, a core of defenders and an umbrella of defensive backs and how you can do some of those things. Anyway, hope you'll give it a listen. It's about 30 minutes, done pretty quickly, but there's really not that many total packages, and I guarantee you, you'll learn something even if you're a complete expert on football. All right. All right. Well, that's great. All right, guys. Uh, less than 24 hours, and we can put this preseason behind us. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.